Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, Liquidware, and Policy Pack Software. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. First up, I did warn you last week on the podcast that typically more information about vulnerabilities patched on Patch Tuesday and also potential issues with patches come to light, and that is certainly the case this week. On Patch Tuesday, VMware patched 19 vulnerabilities in vCenter server and Cloud Foundation appliances that a remote attacker could exploit to take control of an affected system. The Hacker News reports, the most urgent among the vulnerabilities is an arbitrary file upload vulnerability in the analytics service listed as CVE-2021-22005 that impacts vCenter server version 6.7 and 7.0. The CVE states that a malicious actor with network access to port 443 on vCenter server may exploit this issue to execute code on vCenter server by uploading a specifically crafted file. This vulnerability can be used by anyone who can reach vCenter server over the network to gain access regardless of the configuration settings of the vCenter server. VMware did share a temporary mitigation that you could put in place, but you really should patch for a permanent fix as soon as possible. And I've covered quite a few vCenter vulnerabilities in the last few months. And one thing that has come out of all this is it has highlighted that some people put vCenter and vSphere onto servers that are publicly exposed on the internet. Don't do that. <laughs> You're just asking for bad news. And because Misery loves company, bleepingcomputer.com reported this week that a bug in the Exchange Auto Discover feature that helps streamline setup of Outlook has led to approximately 100,000 login names and passwords for Windows domains worldwide to be leaked. It turns out that if Auto Discover fails for any reason, it will do what's called a backoff procedure in which it attempts to create additional URLs to authenticate to including a URL that's derived from the user's email address. So, a somewhat predictable URL by the sounds of things. This URL could then be leveraged to instead send the auto-discover to a third-party untrusted website. Amit Serper, who is Gardecore's AVP of Security Research, discovered that with basic authentication in use for many account credentials, it makes them very easily viewable by intercepting this authentication attempt with the auto-discover. Serper has provided a few suggestions that organizations and developers can use to mitigate the Microsoft Exchange auto-discover leaks. For organizations using Exchange, you should block all auto-discover.tld. So block all of those domains at your firewall or DNS server so that your devices cannot connect to them. Gardecore has created a text file containing all auto-discover domains that can be used to create access rules, so that should speed things up for your network or security teams. Organizations are also recommended to disable basic authentication as it essentially sends credentials and clear text. 
For software developers, Serpa recommends users prevent their mail clients from failing upwards when constructing auto-discover URLs so that they never connect to autodiscover.tld domains. At the time of recording this episode, Microsoft has not commented. A vulnerability in AMD's PSP chipset driver for multiple CPUs has been published and is listed as CVE-2021-26333. Worryingly, Betanews.com reports that it is comparable to Meltdown and Spectre, but I'm not so sure about that myself. It's a pretty big statement to make. Uh, It does seem to affect a long list of CPUs like them and can be exploited to grab a password from memory like those vulnerabilities. So it does have the potential to be pretty bad, but it is not something that appears to be as disruptive to fix. It has been given a medium severity rating and a patch is available right now, which you can download and deploy or deploy via Windows updates with the chipset. ZDNet has reported that a service provider named New Cooperative was likely hit with a ransomware attack with hundreds of instances of breached employee credentials potentially exposed. According to Tammy Can, who is COO of FYEO, she looked at a database of the breach credentials and they found 653 breach credentials and unfortunately the password chicken1 was used over 10 times. So maybe some on the IT team or maybe even just one person with access to multiple accounts had set the same password on those accounts. Now, I decided only to cover this story just to highlight the need to use complex passwords, not reuse passwords, and if possible, use a product like CyberArk to rotate passwords. I actually have a blog post on the topic of uh, personal security being corporate security with some of these suggestions and also some illustrations too. And I'll share that with this episode as well, which is episode 195. And you'll find it on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode. ZDNet also had a really interesting article this week that suggests that Google Chrome security team have said they are willing to make the browser slightly slower if it means the trade-off is a much more secure browser, which I think is a good approach. They pointed to previous figures that 70% of all security problems are related to memory safety. And they said they're looking at three approaches to help combat against this vulnerability. And that includes compile time checks, runtime checks, and using a memory safe language. They've said that with some runtime checking that they are currently working on, they stand a chance of eliminating over 50% of the use after free bugs in the browser process, which would be a huge win for them. They also suggest they may look at using Rust, possibly as that language, or possibly combined languages. So pretty cool, Uh, hopefully, they stay the course and are able to make the browser more secure. I think we'd all accept a slightly slower browser for a more secure browser, right? It has been announced that ServiceNow's new employee center will be available as a collaborative app that can be embedded into Microsoft Teams. If you're not familiar, collaborative apps are a set of Teams apps that can be used across chat, channels, and meetings. And the hope is that you'll be able to integrate workflows first service now for functions like IT, HR, facilities, and procurement into Teams. So essentially do some of those integrated workflows that you're typically doing when logged into ServiceNow, but do them all from within Teams. So 
pretty cool. That'd be a nice streamlined process. Microsoft have released an update to their Windows 11 compatibility checker. So remember that little tool that was released during the initial announcement and was then quickly pulled back because it didn't work worth a damn? Well, it is available again and now it gives much more detail of potential compatibility issues that are detected and maybe what you should do about them. ZDNet had another really interesting article Mainly interesting due to the fact that they had to call out the fact they published articles that recommended the ExpressVPN product in the past, and now with recent developments, there are some serious questions being raised about the product. I'm not sure how enterprise IT related these types of VPN services are, other than a lot of people were working remotely now, so these VPN services may be on their BYOD machines and that could possibly be an area of concern. But anyway, recently the report suggests that Cape Technologies announced plans to acquire ExpressVPN for close to a billion dollars. Cape was once considered a malware provider according to this report. And the report goes on to state that the ExpressVPN CIO was fined $1.6 million by the U.S. government for hacking and spying on U.S. citizens on behalf of the government of the United Arab Emirates. The malware provider accusations are based on a product that carries out adware injection and that it injected ads over actual legitimate ads on some websites, which got them in the bad books with Google too. The concerns raised now are that these major accusations that relate to incidents of potential data privacy shenanigans and the fact that ExpressVPN users expect that they are using a service that is protecting their privacy, well, that's an area for concern, right? Well, now the article does suggest that it could be possible this will all be on the up and up and that there is plenty of money to be made by providing an actual good VPN service that does protect privacy, but there's more than enough red flags to be concerned. Personally, in the past, I set up my own VPN server. Not everyone has the capacity to do so, but it may still be the lesser of evils in putting so much trust into these uh, VPN providers. I know I did use a VPN when I lived in the States very briefly. That was an extension in Google Chrome. And then lo and behold, it turned out that that VPN service was being used for crypto mining off people's machines. So quickly removed it. Gotta be careful. The Verge published an article this week that makes the argument for having a dedicated laptop or PC for your work and another one for personal browsing and just, you know, personal activities. It goes into a lot of detail of why this is important, and I figured this is a good jumping off point for me to preach about it too. If you have a company laptop that you use at home and during the workday you browse to Amazon or Facebook or whatever, stop. <laughs> stop right now. Don't do that to yourself because you should always expect that Big Brother is watching. That is not your laptop. You might think, oh, it's on my Wi-Fi, they can't see it. Well, that is a corporate asset that does not belong to you. They can do what they want with it and it's just not worth it. So if you don't have a personal laptop to use for browsing, invest in one. It is well worth it. Some quick hits now to wrap up the news for this week. 
The FBI, NSA, and CISA in the U.S. have warned of an increased number of Conti ransomware attacks that are targeting U.S. organizations. They report that they have observed more than 400 attacks. This is, of course, the ransomware that hit the Irish healthcare system back in May, as I covered on previous episodes of the podcast, and it has the potential to do a lot of damage. This week, Apple released new versions of their operating systems, and it appears that they have deprecated the insecure TLS version 1.0 and 1.1 protocols. BleepyComputer.com reports that the plans are to remove support in future releases altogether too, and that is for iOS and macOS. Good move. And finally, the awesome Nevergreen PowerShell module that could be useful when automating app packaging or deployments was updated to include the Eclipse Timaru app, IBM Simaru, LibreOffice, and more. So check out those updates. And now some weekly webinars. I will have the honor of presenting a webinar with my buddy Trenton Tai around automating away your Citrix problems. It will take place on Thursday, September 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern, which is, I believe, 6 p.m. BST. So if you're a Citrix admin or engineer or architect, we'll be talking about some problems that I'm sure you've encountered over the course of your career and how to automate fixes for them and never have to deal with them again. Also, I'm going out on a limb and assuming that I'm going to get this recording all edited and uploaded before Friday. So be sure to check out the virtual expo on Friday, the 24th of September. It is an all day event and yours truly will be talking about packaging and delivery in 2021 and beyond. But I've covered this on a previous episode of the podcast too. There are a ton of really great sessions at the event, so don't miss it. Register now. And now some scripts, tricks, and tips. This is a really stupid one to start off with, but Ubuntu shared some new official artwork wallpapers. It interests me right now because I'm due a MacBook upgrade soon. So when the new line of MacBooks get released, I'm hoping to upgrade. And I hope to use my existing Mac, which is still working relatively well, to put Ubuntu on it. So I'll probably use some of these wallpapers for myself, and you might like them yourself too. Petri.com have a nice step-by-step how-to guide on how to join a core version of Windows Server 2022 to a domain. If you've never tried Windows Server Core before, it has got some really great benefits since it is so light. This could be a really great chance to try it out by following this blog to join it to the domain and then set up whatever you want. Of course, as long as what you're setting up does not require a graphical user interface to get it working. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please do share it by a word of mouth with your colleague and friends that are into enterprise IT. And also, please rate the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Like, for example, Apple Podcasts. Go in there and uh, give it a review. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you next week.